Hi, my name is Victor Underwood and warm welcome to our webinar here on GDPR, Schrems 2, Marketing Consent and much more. Super happy to see that so many of you have made it here today to our event. We can see that it's a hot topic right now that is uh, trending a bit, finding out what uh, you should do and what you, sh you should think about when it comes around the legalities on GDPR, Schrems to data security, marketing consent, and so on. And uh, my name is Victor Underwood. I'm the CEO here at Quick Channel. I've been in the streaming and video communication business for almost a decade now, and I am happy to guide you through today's webinar. We will also have uh, not only me, because I'm not a subject matter expert, but we will have you one turn who is a GDPR expert, a lawyer, and also teaching others in the law community around Trems 2 and GDPR. So we're super happy to have him with us today. Uh, you are more than welcome to ask some questions. And, and in this webinar today, you have the chat that you will find on the right-hand side of the video. Uh, you will also be able to write questions. We will send out some polls, make sure that you are engaged. And I'll, I'll send one to you right now just to see are you sitting from home or are you working from the office or elsewhere? And uh, yeah, ask your questions. Joan is with us answering them here today as well. So uh, please don't hesitate on, on that. The agenda is as follows. Uh, the introduction is what we've now just handled. I will talk a little bit about the ESAM uh, governmental report that came out 10 days ago. And then we will jump to the knowledge sofa with Joan. And after that, we'll talk a little bit about data security and and uh, what options there are out there. Uh, so I hope you will find this uh, webinar and this half an hour uh, packed with knowledge and interesting for you. And we start out with the governmental report on the, uh, the ESAM report. And the ESAM report is uh, 32 different public sector and government institutions in Sweden that have got together to do an analysis of the market to find GDPR and SHREMS 2 compliant uh, suppliers uh, that are uh, complying with the, with the regulations, especially since Schrems 2. So it means European-based and European-owned services. And this is uh, a work that they've done for several months. They've sent out plenty of questions and done a, done a good due diligence here. And it was a long list of suppliers starting out, and it was just a short list of suppliers ending up being, being compliant and, and recommended. And it was in the digital collaboration space and video communication space. And in the streaming solutions, video solutions, the space where Quick Channel is, we were one out of only two recommended solutions. So we are both super proud and happy to be uh, compliant and, and have the recommendation from the Swedish government's uh, organizations. But we're also proud to see that all the work that we put in on this uh, in this area uh, is actually showing off. So... If you have any questions further on after the webinar on this, we're happy to, to share you and share some information on it. But enough from me and enough on this. Let's jump over to the sofa and listening in on what Joan has got to share. Hi, and welcome here to our Knowledge Sofa. And uh, with us today, we have Johan Thorn from ADP Law. Uh, thanks for uh, being here with us today. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, or we're going to talk, I'm going to ask some questions, <laughs> and Johan is going to share his knowledge about GDPR, Schrems 2, and 
some uh, normal maybe misconceptions and misunderstandings mm. and also a little bit from a marketing perspective. Um, so, uh, but before we get going, Johan, could you please tell me, tell us a little bit about uh, your background? And yeah, of course. Thanks for, for, for inviting me. I'm Johan Turn. I'm a lawyer. Uh, I'm working for a small boutique law firm specialized in data protection GDPR issues. I've been working with data protection law for it's almost 11 years now. So we're calling it a bit of the revenge of the nerds <laughs> because when I started, it was not so sexy. I'm not, I'm not sure it's sexy now either, but uh, at least uh, it's more relevant now. For Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> sure. 11 years with GDPR law, then yeah. I think you, you will be able to help us uh, navigate some of, the, some of so. the questions that you might have as well watching this uh, online. But uh, could you tell us a little bit, there's a lot of buzz now from our clients all across Europe and basically mm. everywhere about like GDPR, of course, but then Schrems too. Like, mm. what could you of course. Explain a bit. What is it all about? Uh, so, so the Schrems 2 judgment uh, came last summer, actually. Uh, uh, and essentially, uh, it was a judgment from, from the European Court of Justice where they held that the previous privacy shield framework for transfers of personal data from EU to US uh, was invalid. Uh, and the reason for that was basically American surveillance laws. Uh, essentially, that uh, an essential uh, level of protection uh, could not be guaranteed when you transfer personal data uh, using the Privacy Shield framework to companies and organizations within the US. And this was basically a bombshell uh, for many companies and organizations. The rules have been there for since 2018 when, when GDPR entered into effect, basically that when you transfer personal data outside the union, you need to ensure uh, an essential level of protection. Uh, uh, but uh, many have basically just uh, entered into data transfers agreements and thought everything is fine and, and not, not done anything and everybody did that. But now it became very apparent that if you're going to transfer personal data outside the union, uh, you need to make a thorough Schrems 2 analysis, basically. You would need to look into the re receiving country's legislation and make an assessment as to whether this legislation in any way negatively affects the protection for personal data. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really hard for practice. Yeah, then takes a lot of resources. Really, lots of resources for many companies and organizations. So we see a little bit of a trend of within our customers and our audience, uh, which we have some with mm -hmm. us here today as well, uh, that they are, uh, instead of doing this kind of risk assessment mm -hmm. and resource heavy, they are starting to navigate more towards like a pure European yeah, base. Yeah, absolutely. Analysis. And that, that's my experience as well, okay. because then, then you don't need to make this assessment. Yeah. So that's one headache less, yeah. one GDPR headache less. Uh, and that's actually advice that we give as well, that uh, when they're looking at very, uh, solving a, a business problem, for example, looking at various service providers and what they're offering, uh, we say that if you use this service provider and they might have uh, sub-suppliers as well uh, outside the EU, then you need to make this assessment uh, in order to be GDPR compliant. Or the alternative is to, to use, uh, as you say, a pure EU or pure Swedish uh, service provider because that makes it much easier. 
And that's been, I mean, we've been working together with you yeah. now for, for several months and you helped us with updating our uh, data protection agreements mm-hmm. and, and so on. And I think one thing that has been a, a learning for us and, and for our clients that have been well received with our clients is that we work with our like mandatory mm-hmm. processors and our optional ones. Mm-hmm. So thanks for us having like a, a bit of privacy by design and how mm. we built our service and that we have the data centers here in Sweden and in Europe mm. and the processing also here and, and we're a Swedish-owned company. Um, but for some customers wanting to have this optional functionality yeah. from uh, companies that are integrated from abroad or yeah. third country, mm. uh, then we have them as optional. Mm. But our core service and offering is like uh, full assurance to companies. But that's really good because then then you leave the choice to, to the customer. So so if they want to have this add-on functionality, uh, they need to make this additional assessment and, and uh, make a risk assessment as to whether uh, uh, an essential equal level of protection can be guaranteed. Or they can just choose to use the core functionality yeah. and then then they don't need to make that assessment yeah exactly because we're working with a lot of like government yeah. uh, clients and public sector clients and, yeah. and they want naturally take a little bit less of a risk absolutely uh, and, and maybe private companies can take more of a risk in trade-off for more functionality yeah absolutely that's my experience as well yeah yeah um, what would you say, what is like the misconceptions that you see regarding this GDPR insurance too? From the, the major misconception is basically that all transfers outside the EU and especially to US are impossible or prohibited basically. Uh, that, that's not true. Uh, but as we said, uh, if you're going to transfer personal data outside the union, you need to make that a country assessment and, and TREMS2 analysis, basically. Yeah. Uh, so that's one misconception. Uh, but then uh, we need to be clear as well. It's it's really hard uh, doing that analysis, uh, but also it, it has become increasingly difficult to transfer personal data, for example, to the US due to their surveillance laws. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have helped clients doing these types of, of analysis for many countries like India, US, Sri Lanka, actually, Singapore, and so forth, uh, because the world is global uh, and uh, so forth. But I mean, we're also seeing a trend, as you said, that uh, looking at only storage in the EU uh, using EU uh, service providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one misconception in that regard is that you, you need to distinguish uh, between the, the situation that you're using, for example, a foreign service provider, but there are storing the data in, in the EU. And that's one type of risk assessment that you need to make. Uh, and it's only when you transfer data outside the EU you need to make this SHREMS2 analysis. Yeah. So so all customers, all, all of your customers also need to make a risk assessment when from a GDPR perspective perspective when they're engaging you, of course. Yeah. Uh, but that's a different assessment than a SHREMS2 assessment. It's like on top of it. So it's on top of it or, or it's the foundation of what you say. Do you have any kind of advice to our audience? We probably have audience from all over Europe. Mm. We probably have in the, in the UK as well. We've mm. got a, a company a subsidiary in the UK and employees and customers over there. Like, is there anything that they should think about in regards to this? Uh, the first thing is, of course, know your transfers. 
Uh, and that might be more difficult uh, than you might imagine because you are typically engaging a lot of different service providers and or you might be a global company as well. Uh, but uh, if you're engaging service providers, they might have sub suppliers in uh, outside the EU and so forth. So uh, try to map your transfers, uh, get down to the facts basically. Mm-hmm. Are we tra- transferring any data? And then uh, make an assessment if you're doing that should we keep this service provider? Is it business critical, for example? Uh, and then make the Schrems 2 analysis, uh, or should we try to look for alternatives? Yeah. We have had this discussion uh, very prevalent in relation to Google Analytics, for example, yeah. which is subject to, to a supervisory matter uh, by the Swedish Data Protection Authority and across Europe as well, uh, where clients and organizations are looking for alternatives basically looking for EU alternatives instead, in order to just uh, skip the Schrems to headache, basically. And that's, I mean, that's assessment we have done as well. Mm. We've had some like small functionality and features that has, that we now have changed uh, suppliers mm. for just to be uh, completely uh, compliant as mm. well. So, I mean, we've gone through it as well and we see our clients going through the same yeah, exactly. process right now. I know we have some of our viewers today joining us is uh, from uh, working with marketing and mm. communicating to clients and partners and so mm. on. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about like uh, is there a difference GDPR and marketing no. law? Maybe we start there. Yeah, the first thing is that you you need to of course comply both with marketing laws uh, and the GDPR. Uh, and normally when people talk about marketing, they think about consent. Yeah. Um, but our take is that you would need to distinguish a marketing consent from a GDPR consent. So uh, sometimes a marketing consent is required. For example, in Sweden, if you are marketing towards consumers in an electronic way, sending emails and SMS and so forth, uh, then you would need a marketing consent. Uh, and the requirements on such a consent is uh, much more less, less uh, difficult than a GDPR consent, for example. And normally from a GDPR perspective, you can rely on a, on a different legal basis for the processing of personal data in order to send the communication. Uh, so you can normally rely on what we call a legitimate interest, and the legitimate interest would be the marketing interest in such a case in order to market towards consumers or business uh, customers. Uh, and our advice is to try to avoid consent, the GDPR consent, as much as possible, because it's very difficult to obtain uh, a valid consent. It needs to be explicit, freely given, and it's tied to a number of rights that you have under the GDPR. Uh, for example, you have a right to withdraw it at any time, and it should be as easy to withdraw it as to give it. Uh, and that puts a lot of pressure on the technical functionality in order to obtain and manage such consents. So, so try to avoid it, yeah. uh, the GDPR consent. Look whether local marketing laws require that you need a marketing consent. Yeah. Uh, and then from a GDPR perspective, be really transparent, have a very good privacy notice or privacy policy that explains what you're doing with the data, why, how long you store it, and the legal basis for it yeah. uh, that you can link to, uh, for example, from a webinar or a meeting or uh, in a communication that you send. Yeah. Uh, that will make life easier. 
And that's one of the topics where you, <laughs> you've helped us out as well with uh, mm-hmm. Joanne has helped us writing our new updated privacy policy, which I was saying, well, this is, uh, this, this is, is long, long. <laughs> uh, but also that it should be like easily to read. So we've divided yeah. it up in like a short version and then you can read the prologue. A, a more detailed version. Exactly. And the, that's an advice as well that the information requirement under GDPR is very extensive. Uh, so, so there are lots of things that you need to cover in a privacy notice. And the requirements actually from, from the supervisor authorities are very high on the level of detail that you need. But still it needs to be, of course, uh, user-friendly and, and readable and, and understandable and so forth. And that, then a tip is basically that you try to divide it in different layers. Yeah. Um, and then also try to be as comprehensive as possible. Uh, and, and so, so, Try to think of all the stuff that you want to do and do with with personal data, so that you have a a, a a broad privacy notice in that sense. So, if you're interested and want some inspiration, you can read ours. <laughs> you can read that. <laughs> and if you, uh, yeah, if you have you want approved, you want approved exactly, <laughs> uh, which is always feels good. And if you have questions for your privacy notes or anything like this, you can all of course reach out. You will get the contact. Of course. For for Johan, uh, to Johan uh, after this event. Mm. I think we've covered a lot of bases here regarding both GDPR and mm. marketing. And I believe, uh, and I hope that you, the viewers out there, have gained some knowledge. Uh, I always do in conversation with you. My <laughs> we might mention something around UK, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Because uh, as, as I understand it, you have a lot of UK uh, yeah. um, uh, users and so forth. So, so uh, we have Brexit, of course. Yeah. Uh, so they they divorced us. Yes. Uh, no hard feelings. No. Uh, but uh, they still have the GDPR, but uh, uh, a UK version. So, of course, uh, a company organization in in the UK needs to comply with the UK uh, GDPR still, and essentially it's the same legal framework still. I know that the UK government has proposed certain legislative changes to remove red tape, as they say, make life a little bit easier. Um, but uh, still, as it stands today, it's essentially the same. Uh, and they also have an adequacy decision from the European Commission. So, so transfers between UK and the EU is perfectly fine, uh, mm-hmm. even though they are technically a third country outside the EU. Uh, but, but of course, it will be interesting to see if they remove these kinds of red tape, as they say, if the adequacy decision will stand. Mm-hmm. But that's a, a totally different topic. Uh, and of course, then if you're a UK company and wants to, to market towards uh, European countries, you still need to, to comply with local marketing laws. So you need to check that still. Thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> and, it, and it is, yeah, of course, important for us as well. We're having a, a team and an office and a subsidiary mm. now in the UK as well. Very exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's super exciting, but also we need to navigate all the legalities here. Mm. Filled with knowledge. So thanks a lot, Joan, for coming here today and uh, sharing your expertise. Again, all of you viewers will get the contact details to Joan and his uh, his firm. Uh, so if you need any more advisory, feel free to reach out, and we will of course follow up with some more communication as well. Uh, but I think that's all from the knowledge so far here today, <laughs> and we'll Thank jump you. back into the studio. Hi back here in the studio with me thank you joan uh, for for that chat and the knowledge sharing it's uh, like i said and mentioned in the video and in the, in the interview with joan that it's every time i speak to him i learn i learn more 
So uh, jumping to the next topic in this webinar, and I hope you found that interesting. Again, if you have any questions, please write them in the chat. We have Joan with us here today to answer any questions that might come up. And I will take you through some data security when it comes to video and streaming. And when it comes to your video communication, it could be not only the legal aspects of it, but also like the security aspects of your video communication. And one thing that has been growing more popular is that you activate single sign-on and integrations with Active Directory, for example, so that you can get back better access control on your videos. That's predominantly for internal video communication, where you want to have certain type of recorded videos or live streams should be available for one user group, but not the other. Um, we also have uh, something growing more popular is different deployment options. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in a minute. <clears throat> then, of course, the legal aspects of GDPR and, and SRAMS2 that we've been going over today, that you know that your supplier has uh, are complying with the, with the uh, regulations that are, and that they are using European-based, European-owned service, and so on. For the video, to protect the video, you can also use uh, something more simple, like password protection. So you put a password that the viewer needs to put in to access the video. Uh, we can restrict, and you can restrict which kind of networks and who can access the video internally, if it's only from your offices, for example. And then we also recommend to use unique links so that you can't guess kind of what the link structure should be, so you can find any material, but it should be unique links for, for the viewers. And then email registration is uh, part security, but part also for your statistics. So you can see who registered, did they sign up, did they watch the event and, and follow up after. And to take you through a little bit of different deployment options. So at Quick Channel, we offer cloud, hybrid and on-prem. But when we say cloud, we don't mean an American cloud. We mean the cloud, the Quick Channel cloud, which is our own infrastructure in different data centers here in Sweden and in the EU. And in there, we have both the media servers, so the video files and the video distribution, and the metadata and the application. And with this, with our cloud setup, you get to very quick setup and configuration and delivery and support. And it's also fully Shrems 2 and, and GDPR compliant. But then we see a growing need recently for hybrid deployments, which means that you put your media files behind your firewalls on your servers in your data centers can be popular for like finance companies, some government authorities, hospitals, for example. So the video files and the video content never leaves your premises, but the application and the functionality is in the cloud. So it gives a nice kind of customer and support experience, but it still uh, reaches a higher level of data security for, for your content. And then we have on-prem, which is when you both have the application and the database, the metadata and the video files, installed on the customer premise or the customer chosen cloud. And in this way, you get the highest level of security in a way and access control on your data, uh, but then it's also a little bit more of a delivery project to get it done. But it's also something that we're seeing uh, increased uh, uh, requests from uh, right now. So with this summary, you have flexibility in your deployment depending on your needs. Um, and uh, we're here to map them out. And I know we have some new faces and some new viewers that don't know Quick Channel from before. So just want to take you through quickly that we are a live and on-demand video and streaming platform used for webinars and webcasts. We are everything from event scheduling to doing the live event with interactive features like chat and polling and so on, and then publishing it in play channels. Statistics with live statistics, how many is watching right now, 
uh, how long do they watch to seeing aggregated statistics on demand on your video content on the account. And then we have video editing. So simple video editing in the cloud to take away and cut away the beginning and the end. We also have a speech-to-text functionality, which is an AI base that we have done our own AI-trained model this year that we're releasing next month, which means that we are Shrems 2 compliant also on the speech-to-text, which is a bit unique here in, in uh, not many that are doing it here in Europe. Uh, when it comes to rules and regulations, again, we have the GDPR in Shrems 2, but also the WCAG, which is uh, now law in the EU that you need to have accessible web application, an accessible video player, where subtitles are one thing, but also that the platform is WCAG compliant. And we are compliant on that and have developed it in an accessible way, so you can be uh, safe with using Quick Channel for that as well. And last but not least, the branded experience. So with us, you can really design your own player, logos, backgrounds, colors, everything to get the look and feel that you really uh, are after so that the, your viewers know whose content they are watching. And that is also something that we are strong and that our customers really like about us. So thanks for following all the way through. I can see that we have... Uh, uh, that we have some questions in the chat. So I have one here from Isabel. Does the Quick Channel webinar solution offer private chat options also, for example, to share sensitive data questions? Yes, so we can, in Quick Channel, you can set up, and thank you for your question, Isabel. In Quick Channel, you can set up several different chat rooms and you can uh, decide how they, the different chat rooms should work. So if they should be moderated or if you should only be seen by you who wrote the question and me who is moderator, for example, for sensitive questions. So if you try it out and write something in the Q&A chat, it will only be me being able to see it here and you can see your question. And so that's uh, possible. And when it comes to like private messaging and so on, that is what we are uh, having in the in the ropes for, for 2022. So there's some uh, more development on the uh, chat coming as well. But I hope that answers your question. And we've got another question in the Q&A here about what's the most popular option today and when it comes to webinar solutions and security. And what we see the most popular today is the, the cloud solution because it's uh, cheapest, it's quickest to set up and try out. So um, that's the one most popular today. But then for a little bit larger enterprise and government clients, we see that the hybrid and on-prem is growing more and more. Um, but since we got that question, I'll also send out a question to you to see um, if you want to have a walkthrough and learn a bit more about our pl platform in, spe in specifics, then we'd be happy to jump on our call and, and yeah, show you, show you more how it works. So I got another question if this webinar will be recorded. Yeah, and that's also a standard feature in Quick Channel platform that it's the same for live as on demand. So it will be the same link as you have now, and you will get a follow-up email as well with the link to the webinar. Uh, and you can watch it on demand straight away after we're done with the live broadcast. It will be published for on demand. And that is also one thing that is a bit smoother for your workflow when you work with webinars, that so you don't have to go through and like download and upload somewhere else. Uh, with Quick Channel, that's automatic. I think that we've covered all the, all the questions for now. So... With this in mind, if you have anything more or you come up with a question after this webinar, you want to reach Joe Antoine at EDP Law, we will have uh, his contact information available and we will also 
have uh, be available for you, of course, if you have any questions for us at Quick Channel. So thanks a lot for joining today, for viewing this webinar. We hope that you learned something and uh, continue to follow us in our communication. We try to share as much knowledge in the space as possible. And it was a big thank you to you, Antarn, at EDP Law for coming in and, and taking your time to share the knowledge here with the audience today. We really appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.